0: The Alabama Science Festival is putting the arts in STEM this week with a show called The Science of Music tomorrow at Roberts Recital Hall. Educator and Hall of Fame drummer Chris Vrenna uses science to create and navigate. He's one of the speakers.
1: I can teach people how to make a drum set all day, every day, but also teaching them how to survive financially and not be ripped off and how they can actually have a good, healthy living in this industry, I think is as important.
0: We'll also hear from Emilio Palami, who has watched the digital world emerge and take over in his 45 years in the entertainment biz.
2: One thing I always said to myself when things got difficult is I said, well, this must be where someone else quit. And that kind of kept me going because I wasn't going to quit.
0: Chris and Emilio join musician Adara and eco-hero Steve Trash for Science of Music. We'll meet them next, and we'll have time for a ghost story from Catherine Tucker-Windham. 89.3's Public Radio Hour will be right back. What started as the Huntsville Science Festival has this year grown into the Alabama Science Festival, now an annual week-long celebration of science and technology that culminates this weekend with two big events. Saturday at the BBC in Huntsville, it's STEAM Fest from 10 to 5, a day of dinosaurs, Tesla guns and other activities and demonstrations for all ages. This Friday night at 7 at UAH's Roberts Recital Hall, the festival is hosting a live show called The Science of Music, which features four music professionals and their four stories of how science helps them create their art. In this public radio hour, we'll meet them, Emilio Palami, Steve Trash, Adara, and Chris Vrenna. At the end of the show, we'll also carve out some time for our annual ghost story from Catherine tucker Wyndham. No matter what happens, you've got to hang on. Electronic dance DJ and musician, Adara, is one of the presenters at Friday's Science of Music show. Adara is currently based in Nashville and best known for her collaborations with international DJs, her energetic live shows, and her science fiction-inspired stages and wardrobes, which might seem a little out of place in Nashville. Maybe. Maybe not.
3: I am based out of Nashville, Tennessee, although now, recently, I'm going back and forth between Detroit, Michigan and Nashville, Tennessee. So um, there's a lot of famous venues in Nashville, you know, like the Grand Old Opry at the Ryman, And um, there's some really famous studios there, like RCA, I think it's Studio B, where Elvis recorded. And um, there's a lot of rich history. Um, what I love about Nashville is that it's a songwriter's town. It's all about honing your craft and telling a story. And it's a great place to build your team of people if you're an artist or a songwriter or a creative. But I am exploring Detroit because it has some more opportunities for me to perform with my style of music, which is more of EDM and electronic pop, which is not quite what Nashville is known for yet.
0: (laughs) What's a good live event that you've attended as a fan, as a music fan recently, and what makes Mm -hmm. a great live event for you?
3: Um, Well, what makes a great live event for me personally is the theatrics of it. I grew up a theater kid, so to see something that tells more of the story behind the music during the performance is where I get really excited, whether that's visuals or props and really just takes you on a journey. Um, the last concert I saw in Nashville, um, recently a larger concert was Jason Mraz at the outdoor amphitheater. That's a newer space, a Mm -hmm. performance space. And, um, he was fantastic With him, it was obviously more about the musicianship. So everybody that was on stage with him is a huge production, a full band, singers, backup singers. And so he was able to create this incredible live experience that I would say surpassed his recordings. Um, But one of my favorite shows I've ever seen was actually up in in Michigan, and that was with uh, Muse. And it was their—I think it was their drones tour promoting their new album—and it was the most creative, immersive experience I've ever, I've ever seen.
0: You'll be one of the performers tomorrow night, October twenty-eighth, at uh, UAH's Roberts Hall at the Alabama Science Festival's Science of Music Show. Adara, you and your fellow presenters are exploring the science music connection. So tell our listeners here on the Public Radio Hour, how does that manifest itself in the art that you create?
3: It manifests in multiple ways. I grew up watching a lot of sci fi, and I think that, you know, sci fi is the gateway to real science and getting you hooked on that. Uh, So between actual science and especially like astronomy and things to do with outer space and the sci-fi realm, that really affects me lyrically in what I'm writing. It also affects my visuals that I do, whether it's my music visuals or what you will see behind me while I'm performing. And I use technology to further my music, to really create a whole visual multimedia world around my music from the synthesized instruments I'm using when I'm recording to the visuals, to the fashion. I just want you to completely be transported into a different place through my music and on what might sound like the more boring side, but is the really exciting side as well with what technology has allowed us to do now with music. I'm able to work with people from all over the world So I'm able to work with DJs and other producers and collaborators through things like video calls, file sharing services, and software online where we can listen to the same project file as we're producing in high-quality audio streamed over the Internet. And then, of course, there's the aspect of talking to fans. And that's used through things like social media where I would never be able to connect with people over in Egypt, and now I can through my music. So... That's, there's a lot that I'm going to be talking about, but that's the basics, you know, gist. It, it really affects every part of me as an artist.
0: Tell us a little bit more about your experience as a musician. Uh, do you have a favorite idea or a project that you're working on right now?
3: Yes. I am currently working on putting together an album, but I will be releasing each song as singles over the next year or so, starting in 2023. And um, there's a couple of songs on there that I'm especially excited about and one I'm working on right now, which I will be performing at the event on the 28th um, called uh, If I Was a Jetson. And I loved the Jetsons growing up. So it's a song about feeling like you don't fit in and maybe if you were oh, from a different time year? in a different place you'd finally feel connection and feel accepted so while it's super nerdy and about a sci-fi show i hope that it's relatable to everyone and it's the first time i'll be playing it for anyone it's not really yet
0: anything else you
2: like to add
3: yes i am a huge fan of public radio and i in fact Listen to that more than I do music. Um, And in my car, when I'm driving, I I absolutely love it. And I'm just so beyond excited to be talking to you today and be on this platform. As a kid growing up, while every other teenager was wearing their favorite band T-shirts, I was wearing an NPR T-shirt and walking around with a (laughs) rolling backpack. (laughs) So, I'm really, like, a huge fan. I mean, I'm going to get off this call and go tell my mom I finally made it.
0: So much fun talking with Adara. Thanks to her for spending time with us. This is 89.3's Public Radio Hour, and I'm Brett Tannehill. This hour, we're meeting the presenters of this Friday's Science of Music show, held at Robert's Recital Hall as part of the Alabama Science Festival. Emilio Palame has worked on many things you've probably seen or heard during his 45 years in the entertainment industry. Everything from live stand-up to live music, from Nickelodeon to the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra. Most recently, he co-wrote the screenplay and arranged the music for the new feature film, *Nights of Swing. He's experienced the entertainment industry's digital revolution from its beginning, and he'll share those experiences on stage Friday.
2: I'm going to be talking about the essence of how music affects everyone and how now music has been created over the course of the last 40 or 50 years, which is totally different with the advent of computerized sequencing, the advent of MIDI, um, musical instrument digital interface, uh, digital recording, um, and hard disk computer recording, and how um, these sample libraries have expanded for composers and arrangers to be able to create real, realistic, um, symphonic orchestral sounds uh, that in some ways you probably couldn't tell whether it's a real orchestra or not. And then, of course, synthesized music that's um, opened up a whole new world because of uh, musical instrument digital interface. So I'm going to be talking about my because I lived through it when I, when I started playing I was you know I had a, a Fender Rhodes electric piano and, or just an acoustic piano and then eventually um, the DX7 came along modular synthesis unit. And then the whole world of using computers to be able to record and sequence music just spawned a whole new decade, uh, a whole new uh, world of, of how music is actualized and how music is created and how it's
0: produced. Take us back to your earliest uh, analog moment, so to speak. Uh, what was one of the first things you learned about production in your craft?
2: Well, when I first started uh, playing in bands, I, I my music background goes way back to, I, I played in my first band when I was in sixth grade, and, and I played my Aunt Carol's uh, Baldwin aquasonic organ, and we carried that around to, to school dances and that, and.
0: Oh, that's Those great. My, <laughs> that,
2: that was my, my first foray into into playing uh, live music with an electronic instrument. Um, all throughout my teenage years and that I played in various uh, bands, I, I, I started really getting interested in jazz uh, when I was in high school and and started studying some really great teachers. And uh, a lot of what I learned, I, I learned because I, I just took songs off of records and played by ear, and then eventually I took some formal lessons, and then I went to um, Fredonia State University, uh, which is part of the SUNY system in upstate New York, and I was very involved in the jazz ensemble program there uh, for five years. Uh, I I started off playing in the band, and then I ended up directing and running the entire program, culminating in my graduate year. Uh, I taught at the college jazz arranging and, and improvisation, And that year we won uh, at the um, Notre Dame Jazz Festival. I won Outstanding Keyboardist and Outstanding Composer-Arranger. And those years in in college really were what really prepared me to do uh, all the scoring and and big band work that I did in the Knights of Swing.
0: What's your favorite thing about this new movie?
2: Uh, It's got a lot of heart. It's set in 1947, so... Uh, during that period, uh, racism was really at a high. Uh, most um, black musicians didn't mingle with white musicians. This was a time when schools were just starting to be desegregated. And, um, and we deal with uh, that aspect uh, of how the musicians found their common ground playing in the band because there's a, a couple of black musicians to play in the band and the community gets really upset about this. Well, it also the movie also touches on the aspects of post World War II PTSD, which they called sh- being shell-shocked. Cuz because when the main character's older brother has come back from the war and he's very m- mean to his younger brother and there's a, there's a lot of uh, aspects of forgiveness, healing, uh, and how the, the power of music brings people together and um, it's a, it's a very family-oriented movie, although it's got it's got some teeth to it, it's got some grit to it too. I'm very proud of the work that, that uh, the team that we put together did in producing this. We spent three years making the movie that partially it took so long because we've, we filmed a great deal of it during COVID. I'm very, very thankful and, and proud of the work we did. It's a beautiful movie.
0: We're talking with Emilio Palami. He will be one of the presenters for the Alabama Science Festival Science of Music show. We're talking with him here on the Public Radio Hour on 89.3 in Huntsville, Emilio, tell us about where you are right now, and what is the closest performing art space to you right now? Are you in your hometown? Where, where are you?
2: Yeah, I live in Los Angeles. Um, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, uh, but I moved out here after the blizzard of 77, and I've uh, been enjoying the Southern California sun, weather, and... Uh, the so you have
0: a very place. vibrant performing art scene where you are and where, where you were from.
2: Yeah. um, In in Buffalo, New York, I I performed with my, I had my own big band, and we were playing at at sometimes uh, three to five nights a week with a 16-piece band. Buffalo is a very, very rich uh, jazz town. Some quite famous uh, jazz musicians have performed in Buffalo. I I performed at uh, Art Park, which was a gorgeous outdoor uh, venue there. In Los Angeles, I've performed at the Hollywood Bowl and there's several other famous jazz clubs uh, that are in and around the valley. Things that things have changed a little bit with as far as live music is concerned, because COVID had so much to do with putting a damper on on all of that. And it's it's just finally now starting to come back, where where venues are are opening up again.
0: Are you feeling like people are wearing masks enough? How are you on that?
2: Kind of a mixed bag. You know, when COVID was really at its height, everybody was wearing masks everywhere. I've seen a resurgence of people wearing masks uh, in the last couple of months because of news about these variants and stuff. So, yeah, it's it's, it's kind of a mixed bag um, right now. You know, no one's re- you know demanding that you do unless you're in a medical facility. You know, if I go to a doctor's appointment or or whatever, you always have to wear one.
0: Emilio, thanks for talking with us. Uh, finally, before we let you go, any words of advice for up and coming musicians? You've had such an extensive career gone so many places, done so many things. Uh, do you have any advice you'd like to share for people who are starting out or trying to find their way?
2: Well, one of the things that helped me uh, when I was performing with my big band, uh, there were several times, you know, carrying around all the music stands and the folios with all the music and the sound system and my electric piano and all that. Uh, I, can, I can give a couple of points of advice to, to remember. One thing I always said to myself when things got difficult is I said, well, this must be where someone else quit. Mm-hmm. And that kind of kept me going because I, I, I wasn't going to quit. And another thing that I learned, which was from uh, an, my manager that I had when I first started acting, he would, he would close every conversation, whether it be um, a telephone conversation or an email. He always closed with the phrase, trust the journey. And, and that's really kept me going through all of my career. Um, I'm, I'm no spring chicken, but uh, I'm still living my dream, being able to do what I love to do, both acting and music and production and directing. Uh, it, it's, I, I feel very, very blessed to be where I am, but it certainly isn't because I didn't put a lot of years of hard work and, and stick-to-itiveness. So trust the journey, and when things get really tough, Just say to yourself, well, this must be where someone else quit, and I'm not going to. A one, two, three.
0: That was Emilio Palami. He's one of the presenters of the Science of Music show, open to the public this Friday at 7 at UAH's Roberts Recital Hall. It's part of the Alabama Science Festival. This is 89.3's Public Radio Hour. You can find a podcast of this show at WLRH.org. We'll be right back with more Science of Music conversations with Chris Vrenna, Steve Trash, and then a traditional Southern ghost story from Catherine Tucker Wyndham. Stay tuned. As
4: the leaves fall and the weather turns colder and pumpkin spice fills the air, we edge closer to the end of our fall membership drive. And we need one final push to help us make goal. So prepare yourself for a scary good time as we conjure up some fun at our Halloween open house.
5: Oh, goody,
2: goody.
4: Join us this Friday from eight until noon you can drop off your donation and see our haunted studio and even win some great prizes. Ooh, wow. Like gift cards to the Coffee Clutch, 1892 East, and the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. And Catherine Tucker Wyndham and Microwave Dave books. Plus, we'll have our latest swag and WLRH fan packs. Follow our progress today and become a sustaining member online at WLRH.org. And we'll see you at our Halloween open house this Friday.
3: Next time on City Arts and Lectures, we'll hear from George McCallman, author of An Illustrated Black History, a new visual guide to some of the most influential and often overlooked black poets, artists, scientists, and more. We'll also hear surprising findings on adolescence and technology from the authors of Behind Their Screens.
4: Catch City Arts and Lectures here Thursday nights at 8 on 89.3 HD1 WLRH.
5: This Friday is the station's haunted open house. I'll have some boo-scary music for Morning Blend, and in the 11 o'clock hour, I'll be welcoming the directors of Opera Huntsville's creepy production of Bartok's Duke Bluebeard's Castle. I'm Jenny Kennedy. Hope you can join in the super spooky fun this Friday from 9 to noon on Morning Blend.
0: You're listening to 89.3's Public Radio Hour. I'm your host, Brett Tannehill. Tonight, we're spotlighting an event related to this week's Alabama Science Festival. On Saturday, the VBC will have dinosaurs, a Tesla gun, and other fun demonstrations for all ages. And Friday night at 7, the public is invited to UAH's Roberts Recital Hall for the Science of Music, part of the festival. Adara and Emilio, who we heard from earlier, are speaking at the show, along with our other guests this hour, eco-hero Steve Trash and Chris Vrenna. Chris is currently a music technology instructor at Calhoun Community College. He's sharing lessons learned during his career and studies that go back to the 1980s and early lessons in the creative side and the business side of music as a founding member of Nine Inch Nails. The band won a Grammy and got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Chris still plays and records and mixes as he instructs up-and-coming music professionals. He says he's trying to teach his students how to protect their art and how to keep up with a swift-moving evolution of technology.
1: The people who do the recording, the engineers, producers, when you like, see footage of people in a recording, so there's, a, there's always those people on the other side of the glass that are the ones running the computers and the big mixing desks and things. So music technology... Uh, we We learned signal flow and using microphones and how to mix thing, uh, mix audio. Uh, also how to mix for live sound and even do sound effects for video games and television film, field recording. If it's got sound, it's all part of what we now call music technologies, the broad term that's that's been kind of adopted now in education.
0: I Imagine when you first started in music, uh, compared to now, you've really seen the massive transition between analog and digital sound and production and uh, performance and all that sort of thing. What yeah. have What have been the most recent uh, changes, you think, that, that are really uh, impacting the music scene today?
1: We did the first National Nails record, Pretty Hate Machine, with a tiny little Mac Plus that ran the, the MIDI data for the synthesizers, and everything had to be recorded still to... Uh, two-inch reel-to-reel tape. Right. So the software has come a long way, but it's really the computing power that has changed things. Um, we used to have to have cards inside of our computers in order to, uh, like PCI cards, like people will put in their PCs and stuff, in order to do the things now that we can do on a, on a laptop or even a, an iOS device, you know, an iPad or an iPhone, things like that. You know, the math just wasn't around to make digital sound authentic to a lot of the uh, old stuff. But now, never. Uh, it's really getting hard to tell the difference whether you used a virtual software version of a particular vintage synthesizer or actually owned and used the vintage synthesizer itself. Beyond that, I would say, you know, the portable side of it. Um, our MacBooks now are so much, more powerful you don't need a giant desktop so you can have an entire recording studio under your arm that's been probably the biggest change because it's opened up a lot um, a lot of the, the a lot of you know the software is now accessible to all that type of thing
0: how are you seeing that make a difference with your students today compared to when maybe you were uh, in their position or their age
1: well it's good and bad um, there's numerous articles about this Um you it it is good that the technology is so cheap and in a lot of cases free. There there are freeware out there that you can get. Um that it can be in the hands of just about anybody where back in the day it was it was elitist in the fact that recording studios ran two thousand dollars a day. Um, you know, give or take, depending on the room and um and the equipment that we're talking about, you know, a synthesizer may cost $5,000, right. uh, which they still do today, some of them, but um, at least in the thousands of dollars. Meanwhile, there's the software version of that that someone else has made and modeled that thing, and, and it could be 100 bucks. So it, it's good that, the, that all this technology is spread into so many hands. Now, the problem, though, is it's made everything really easy. And in this generation of instant gratification, it's it, even for me. I, I I will admit, I I um, You're often more creative when you have limitations because you really have to learn and get the most out of that what you do have. But now, if you could have everything, a lot of times you don't even scratch the surface of it. So on, on one hand, it's great that so many people, you know, talented people can, can get their hands on it, but it's also led to, I don't want to say a dumbing down, I don't think that's fair, but people Well, there's just, absolutely
0: a flood of content out there that people yeah, can just exactly. get to and, and, instantly and freely. and
1: Exactly, and that's the problem. It's kind of, you know, it, it, just because you have the technology doesn't mean that it's what you do with it's going to be good. You know, right? Um, and and things like that. So it's a it's a double edged sword. You know, um, because of that. It, like like you just said, I mean, anybody can put a you know can make something at home and post it to their social media or their SoundCloud or whatever. So I it's it there's just so much out there, um, and that that's the biggest. Uh, that's the, I think maybe the biggest hurdle now is you may make somebody out there is making right now the greatest record that's ever been made in history. But what are the chances that that kid in their bedroom right now are going to have that record heard by millions and millions of people, you know, breaking through the noise of everything that's out there um, and, and, and getting notice, it's that, that I think is a challenge for people now
0: you're one of the presenters uh, at the Alabama Science Festival's Science of Music show on Friday, October 28th. Are these topics you'll be bringing up there? What do you have planned for the show? Tell us what we could well, expect. It,
1: it, in a way, yeah, I like things to be accessible. I don't want my like I don't want my students ever thinking, well, I can't do a professional thing because I don't have a giant recording studio or I don't own this fancy $8,000 microphone and, you know, uh, whatever they feel is, is preventing them. So, I'm actually going to present and show what sampling is and how we've taken any real world sound and can instantly record it and then manipulate it inside of the computer um, and juxtapose that with like showing them like samples of, of things and how in this new all digital world we live in that we recreate those sounds. So, I'm going to do a little demo on that.
0: How have you had to uh, keep up with learning all the new things and all the new technologies and all the new platforms and all the new software? How, Chris Renna, do you keep up with that yourself?
1: That is what I do in my free time. <laughs> free time. <laughs> like free, free time. What's that? Um, I, that's. Just part of teaching um you know i think anybody in a tech, in the technology world whether it's you know anything that's based on a, on, a, on a high degree of technology we all are still students of what it is that we uh teach and that we work in because it's always changing i have to keep up with it constantly looking at the newest versions and one of the software just came up with a new ios app that allows you it's a miniature version of their program on your phone that you can play with, and now everybody who's registered has is going to be given a free iCloud, uh, not iCloud, but a free cloud account, mm-hmm. so you can start an ID on your phone, put it on your cloud, and then when you get back into your studio, you just download it to the full, real version of the program and pick up from there, and I went, wow, what a great idea. Oh, that's idea. cool. Yeah, that's something brand new, and I teach that particular program in the Springs at Calhoun, so I have to go buy that, that new app and figure that whole thing out so that I can include that in my next time of teaching that particular piece of software to my class in the spring semesters. Sometimes the creativity side gets a little eaten up by just the technology side of it. It's never going back. So all we can do is keep moving forward with it.
0: We're talking with Chris Vrenna, Hall of Fame musician, Calhoun Community College instructor, among other things, here on the Public Radio Hour. Chris, tell us about something, maybe a favorite idea, something you're working on right now that you're excited about.
1: Ooh. um, uh, Okay. Totally not. Here's an unexpected answer to everybody. I am back in grad school for the second time, and um, a, a university here in Alabama, Troy University down south has started the first of its kind in the world, an MBA program, and it's actually called MBA in the Music Industry. And so it's a terminal MBA degree, but focusing solely on business aspects and legal aspects of, of um, the unique nature of the music industry.
0: Someone so, should have done that. That's a great idea.
1: Uh, isn't it amazing? In the last five or seven years, there's been this push to have specialized MBAs because if you think about it working in the music industry and going on wall street kind of a totally different business model you know i mean there's always fundamentals that are the same but the top level you know business structure and stuff's complete couldn't be any more different so um there has been this push for specialized MBAs in industry so they've started one and i'm in their very first cohort so um, I'm really excited about it because so many young people now see themselves as entrepreneurs. Um, the, the model of the big record label is is slowly dying off, and a lot of people are, are self-releasing using Bandcamp, uh, using DistroKid, using SoundCloud, Um and are marketing themselves, selling their own music. That also means they have to deal with their own legal issues and copywriting of their music and uh, trademarking of names and all sorts of things that, that in the past we all had lawyers and managers and agents and A&R people and like companies we do for us. So I'm pretty excited about this MBA. I, I'm sure I'll be learning this. I'm in my first semester. and um, But my goal is to, when I get after I've once I have that degree and I'm credentialed um, is to offer my students um, a, more classes within the business side of the entertainment industry, because it is so unique and it is, it's all set up for the actual artist to be the one who nev- doesn't make the money. <laughs> so <laughs> if I can, if I can get my, if I can have my students, you know, be a couple steps ahead, um, I, I think that would help them. So I'm really excited about that right now. So, yeah, I'm a student again.
0: What's maybe one lesson you wish you had learned early, early on, on the business side of music? What Can you think of anything?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, fight for royalties. Uh, oh, my gosh, fight yes. For, yeah, fight for cuts of, of whatever. Keep your publishing. Don't give that stuff away. I was trapped in quite possibly the worst publishing deal of all time, and I'm, I always tell my students the story of it in business, in the one business class that I do teach right now if i knew then what i know now i would never ever have done that deal um ever um cuz it cost me many years and stuff like that but that's a long story for a, a class one day so <laughs> come on down to Calhoun and <laughs> i tell you about, all well, about that, it well that
0: that is an amazing uh, new development with uh with the MBA
1: yeah i i'm pretty excited about it i think it's i think it it'll be a successful program it is challenging uh my first semester is in sort of business practices and uh Legal aspects of the music industry. So we've been we've been non copyright the last few weeks. Um talking about copyright and copyright infringement and where that's at and um, where it's going and you know uh, how long copyright can last and you know how that affects everybody and stuff. So there's a lot. There's there's a lot. Like I said, it, in in the old days, artists never thought about it because you had some a manager and you had your lawyer and you just kind of did your thing. But now a lot you know, myself included. You know, we don't have those luxuries, um, or we don't want those luxuries. You know, because you realize how much of the pie you give away to have those luxuries. So, you know, um, so being more self-sufficient and everything does put that burden on on you. So, I can teach people how to make a drum set all day, every day, but also teaching them how to survive financially and not be ripped off, and how they can actually have a good, healthy living. in this industry i think is as important
0: chris Vrenna, thanks for being on the public radio hour with us anything else you'd like to add
1: oh just can't wait to see everybody i i love doing this event you know we we talk a lot in school about stem and but there was the other version of stem called steam of course and so every time i see stem i'm always like but you're missing the a like where's the (laughs) art So, you know, my catchphrase is, I'm here to put the A back in your STEM, that I always tell everybody. So being able to combine a creative side along with science and technology, I think is just, it's really good. And I think people uh, uh, sometimes underappreciate the arts and how it is valuable, you know, to the STEM. That A is very valuable to the STEM world. Uh, A lot of times I think we just lose sight of that.
0: That was Chris Vrenna, who has turned his Rock and Roll Hall of Fame music career into a new path. He's a music technology instructor at Calhoun Community College and also launching a new master's program for music business at Troy State. This is 89.3's Public Radio Hour, and speaking of protecting things, you may know Steve Trash eco-hero, as the star of the Alabama public television series, Steve Trash Science. He's helping us protect the planet as he spreads his eco-friendly message far and wide, from Japan to Spain to the United Arab Emirates. He's also a founding member of Keep the Shoals Beautiful and a lifetime member of the Alabama Association for Environmental Education. And when we talked to him earlier this week, he was headed back from an appearance at the North Carolina State Fair in Raleigh.
6: I'd say what makes a good live event is just connection, connection between the audience and the performer. That's always the case. And as we move into this sort of 21st century digital age, that becomes even more and more important. Uh, the connections that you make. Uh, The best thing about the North Carolina State Fair for me and Raleigh was simply so many people that have seen me year after year kept coming up and saying, you know, we missed you last year, the year that we we didn't have a fair, we're so glad you're back. And it just made it even more special.
0: What is a recent live event, a festival, what have you, that you've attended not as Steve Trash but just as a, a fan, a person? What's something that you attended recently that you enjoyed personally?
6: Uh, me personally, I went to uh, Jason Isbell's, uh Shoals Fest.
0: What were some of your favorite parts?
6: Oh man, there was a, there was a young artist, and you are going to catch me on the spot here. Uh, my prediction is this kid is going to be a star in the next year or so. Uh, the Polly, uh, the the Polys, yeah, he was backed up by the Polys.
0: Oh wow, they're great.
6: Uh, yeah, they were unbelievably tight. But this this young man has that sort of otis redding soul funk thing happening um and for me obviously jason and his band were fantastic uh amanda shires was fantastic but for me to stand out with this kid i'd never even heard of if the stars line up correctly they'll be the next sort of group that comes from alabama because i thought they were fantastic
0: We're talking to Steve Trash, rockin' eco-hero on 89.3's Public Radio Hour. Steve is one of the presenters at a show tomorrow night, October 28th. Uh, for the Alabama Science Festival's Science of Music show. You can find more information at WLRH.org and on Facebook. Steve, you and the other performers will be describing the science-music connection that exists in the art that you create. And you told me already you're bringing a gas can guitar, a cigar box (laughs) guitar, and a Cheerios box cigar.
6: We did an episode... On sound on my PBS Kids TV show, I have a show that Alabama Public Television and I do together. But it's a national show; it's released all over the country. Right. We did we did an episode on sound, and We're it big was fans. really oh well, thank you very thank you very much. Uh, you know, I love doing that show because I learn so much every time we do an episode. Like. I never really dove that deep into sound waves and and frequencies, patterns that happen uh, in science and music. And one of those for me is just simply using sound object uh, guitars and making music with it.
0: Why do you do what you do, Steve Trash? And what is your favorite idea that you're working on right now?
6: I do what I do because... I don't have very many God given gifts, and one of those is I connect really, really easily with children. And so I use that to, to teach the kids about their connection to the natural world. I mean, that's really, 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 really important to me that everything in the natural world uh, is connected. And I would say, you know, probably the, the thing I'm most excited about right now is in the next two weeks, we're actually shooting the second season of steve trash science
0: right on which
6: um yeah i'm really we should be on the alabama airwaves and by national airwaves by summer uh, of this year by june of this year apt has told me that i got to get it to them (laughs) i have to get them to it by the end of february um but i got really lucky at the beginning of the pandemic i reached out to a friend that is a writer for Penn and & Teller. And, and I said, Michael, would you you know, consider writing? I don't have a lot of money. And he was like, look, I can't go anywhere. I would love to write episodes for you. So he's written some hilarious stuff on the skeletal system, on the muscular system, on the, the properties of matter. This is all correlated for Alabama primary school teachers. And we even did two episodes for middle school, which I'm super excited about, that Northrop Grumman actually stepped up and helped us with on uh, artificial intelligence and on the engineering process, which is which is problem solving. Because there are going to be a lot of kids out there that are going to grow up and they're going to solve Our problems, the problems that we face, and they're going to solve those problems using technology.
0: Steve, last year you were one of the performers presenters at STEAMFest, part of the Alabama Science Festival. For those of uh, our listeners out there who didn't go to STEAMFest last year, what can they expect on Saturday at STEAMFest?
6: Uh, oh, steam What what an epic day it's going to be! I mean, you're going to see you're going to see exhibits about dinosaurs. You're going to see exhibits about technology, and it's all going to be hands on stuff that kids could actually get get wrapped up in. They can get messy. They can get in. They can dig for fossils. Hey, if you come, and I'm pretty sure I get to be a part of this. If you come, you'll actually get to see a real. Tesla gun using a Tesla coil. You know, if you use your imagination, imagine a spaceship, right? That a Tesla coil uh, shaped like a spaceship, and it shoots these—I uh, don't know—these curvy, curvy uh, electrical bolts uh, through the air. It's spectacular and fun. And the main thing, the fun reason- for kids and adults. Oh, oh, oh! No, there's no way it's not for. It's it's for every age, and that's the thing. Is that the the science steam fest science technology engineering art and math here's my little bugaboo right i love stem stem is fabulous but ladies and gentlemen if you don't have the a if you don't have art in there you don't have a good story what do artists do brett they tell stories so you have got to have it be steam cuz steam is better than them because you got the storytellers. What are we going to do with this amazing science and this amazing engineering skill or technology or math? What are we going to do with that? Well, that's created by the artists. And you get the artists in there, and they're excited about science and technology and math. Then you, you can paint a much prettier picture of our future, of the future of humanity, because we're telling good stories and we're solving problems that need, uh, need
0: to be solved.
5: Well, it's time, all you
4: people? To for
0: Thanks to Steve Trash, Chris Vrenna, Emilio Palami, and Adara for speaking with us for tonight's show. They're the presenters for this Friday's Science of Music show. It's open to the public and takes place this Friday at 7 at UAH's Roberts Recital Hall. Find more information about it on our website's community calendar. Let's round out the show with our annual Halloween ghost story from legendary storyteller Catherine tucker Wyndham.
5: Now, there's not a town in the South, I'm sure, that does not have good ghost stories. You just go there and let people know you're sincerely interested. Somebody will tell you a great ghost tale, one that will truly stretch your imagination. It was rather by accident that I found out about a good ghost story up in Harrodsburg, Kentucky, Downtown in Harrodsburg, in the city park there, there's a little fenced-in area, and inside that fence is a grave. And on that grave is a marker that says, unknown, hallowed and hushed be the place of the dead. Step softly, bow head. And if you ask someone who's buried in that grave, that strange little grave in the center of a city park, they'll say, why, that's the girl that nobody knew. That's the girl who danced herself to death. And the story really goes back to the 1840s when the Harrodsburg Springs Hotel was one of the finest social gathering places in all of Kentucky. Dr. and Ms. C.C. Graham ran that hotel And if you wanted to amount to anything in Kentucky, you had to be able to say, oh, we spent the summer at Harrodsburg Springs. It was one of those grand old hotels that had wide porches upstairs and down that ran all the way around the building. There were rocking chairs there. And in the late afternoons, the ladies would dress and sit in the rockers there, exchange gossip and watch to see who was meeting whom. They would walk down to the springs to drink some of the water, come back in time for supper, and after supper came the dancing. And they say, and they say that there was never a more elegant ballroom anywhere than was found in the Harrodsburg Springs Hotel. That even in the daytime, it was an awesome looking place. with its mirrors on both sides, its chandeliers, and the hundreds of candles that lighted it at night, for it was at night that the place truly came alive with beauty. Dr. Graham had trained musicians to play there, members of his staff, and every night after supper the music started. And many a romance flourished on the floor of the dance hall there at Harrodsburg Springs. Well, one afternoon late, they say, a carriage stopped in front of the hotel there, and a beautiful young girl got out. She was traveling alone, which was very unusual in those days. And afterwards, the people who saw her were never able to agree exactly what she looked like, except that she was the loveliest young thing that any of them had ever seen. They said she moved with a grace that was almost ethereal, And her smile was enough to melt any heart. That joy radiated from her. Her hair was piled high on her head and then hung in ringlets around her fair face. She came into the hotel, walked up to the desk and registered. Some people recall that she registered as Miss Mary Virginia Stafford from Louisville. She told the hotel clerk that her father, Judge Stafford, and her mother would be along later. But she wanted to come in time, she said, to get ready for the dance because, she said, I love to dance. And as she said that, two dozen young men standing in the lobby surged forward and begged her, please let me take you to the dance. Please may I be your escort tonight. And she thanked each one of them graciously and smiled and said, I'll be there and I'll dance with each wife of you, but I'll come alone. Well, she did not appear for supper and people wondered a little bit. And some of the ladies from Louisville said they'd never seen her in Louisville at any social occasions there. And someone said, she looks like an Episcopalian, but I've never seen her at church in Louisville. And they began to wonder about it and ask who she was. Her father and her mother did not appear. She had promised that they would. And the music for the dancing was beginning in the ballroom there. No one had seen Miss Mayor Virginia Stafford. The first dance was nearly over when she entered the ballroom. Now, entered is hardly the right word to use, they say, for she came floating into that ballroom full of life and joy and animation and beauty so that every eye in that place was focused on her. And again the young men came up begging for dances. And she danced with one after another all evening until intermission. And then at intermission they walked out into that summer night still heavy with the scent of four o'clocks and late blooming roses. They walked down to the spring house to refresh themselves and they laughed and she talked and on the way back to the ballroom she stopped suddenly and held up a hand for silence she said listen there's a mockingbird singing do you hear him and then she laughed and said oh this is such a happy happy time i wish i could stay at this very spot forever And then they could hear the music, and so they hurried back to the ballroom. And again she danced every dance, each one with a different young man, until finally it was time for the final dance. She said to her partner, I wish it would never end. And then as they danced there on the ballroom floor, she suddenly collapsed. The people gathered around her, thinking perhaps she had just fainted, but she was dead. And then they didn't know what to do about it because it turned out there was no Miss Mary Virginia Stafford. She did not come from Louisville. She was not the daughter of a judge. In fact, no one knew who she was. For two days, they tried to find family or friends to claim the body. But though her death was widely publicized throughout Kentucky and the adjoining states, no one, it seemed, knew Miss Mary Virginia Stafford. And so, Dr. Graham and the other guests there at the hotel made arrangements for her burial. One of the young men with whom she had danced recalled the very spot where she had stood that night, that happy night, and said, I wish I could stay here forever. And so they chose that spot as her burial ground. Years passed, the hotel burned, Miss Mary Virginia Stafford, even the name that she had registered under, became forgotten. And someone put up a marker that said unknown. And after the hotel burned, people who would walk near that spot at night used to tell of seeing a ghostly figure, a figure of a young girl, a beautiful young girl in bald dress wandering around the area though she were very distressed trying to talk to someone but the people were afraid and wouldn't try to talk to her but the stories grew of the ghost that was seen there near the grave of the unknown girl the girl nobody knew not many years ago there was a nurse there in harrodsburg kentucky who was nursing her brother a deaf mute She was the only member of the family who had learned to read lips, and so she often stayed the whole night with this desperately ill young man. She had been nursing him for long hours, and sometime after midnight, she left the house to go for a walk, going near the spot where the old Harrodsburg Spring Hotel had stood. As she passed near the spring house, this ghost, Uh, This apparition appeared to her A young girl Beautiful young girl In a ball gown And the nurse, not being afraid Stood very still And the figure came closer to her And the nurse, reading the lips Saw that the the figure said I'm lost I'm trying to find the Harrodsburg Springs Hotel I was going to dance there and, And now I can't find it And the nurse said my dear, the Harrisburg Springs Hotel burned years ago. And then the figure threw her hands over her eyes, burst into sobs, turned and ran into the spring house, it was not seen again. But the grave is still there. The grave of the girl nobody knew.
0: was legendary storyteller, trailblazing Alabama journalist and collector of ghost stories far and wide, Catherine Tucker Windham. Thanks to her family for continuing to allow us to air her commentaries. And thanks to you for tuning in and supporting original programming here on WLRH. If you like this show or any show, please let us know during Fall Fun Drive with a donation at WLRH.org and also leave us a program comment. This is our weekly mix of special programs, community conversations, and homemade radio features. Thanks for tuning in 89.3's Public Radio Hour. See you next time.